Hello, and welcome to the Any Given Thursday podcast. I am Max, joined without David once again, who's doing boring law stuff again. So I'm going to have to put up with just me. Um, I am coming to you after the group stage has wrapped up here on Friday, December the 2nd, year of Not My Lord 2022. And wow, what a finale to the group stage. I can't remember in my lifetime anything more exciting. I think it's probably has a shout to be the best group stage of all time, especially in the last round for drama. Every afternoon and morning this week seemed like even when we thought games would be matter of fact and groups would sort of wrap up as predicted every time something crazy seemed to happen in second halves at the end of the game, whatever it was, tons of crazy scenarios, goal difference, goals scored, fair play, yellow cards and red cards, a coin flip. All of that was in play for teams to advance in their group this week. But rather than second half, entertaining second half action, we're actually going to start today in Group G. We're going to work backwards with a game that had all of its action seemingly in the first half, and that was Serbia 2, Switzerland 3. Serbia had to win today to go through and had to hope that Cameroon did not get a victory against Brazil. We'll get to that one in a minute. Serbia lost 2-3, to three, but this game kicked off right away. Jordan Shakiri, the Alpine Messi, Chicago Fire Zone, hit in the 20th minute in a really lovely sequence, worked around the edge of the box. But, fear not Serbians, two turnovers in the midfield from the Switzerland led to two Serbian goals back-to-back, 26th minute, Alexander Mitrovic, great glancing header into the far side of the net. And then Dusan Vlaovic, his strike partner, makes it 2-1 in the 35th. Serious, please don't whine while I'm podcasting. Go get me a toy. What's this? little little look into our home life here. But Brill and Bolo, on the score sheet in the 44th minute, makes the game 2-2 going into halftime. It was hectic. I was watching this with a Swiss friend at a Swiss restaurant. Uh, high drama there. Froila at the top, right after the second half, another, scores off a lovely, another lovely move to put Switzerland up 3-2. Again, Switzerland only needed to draw to go through, probably, depending on the Cameroon game. Um, but they, they sealed second place with a solid 3-2 win here. Actually, if they had scored again here, I believe they would have finished top of the group ahead of Brazil because Cameroon defeated Brazil 1-0. And you know what? I'm going to circle back there. I want to say one thing about Serbia. Serbia, I have to say, we we predicted might be a fun team in this group. And moving forward, a potential dark horse even. Tough group stage for the dark horses. But they just like, it was a, I think it was just the wrong time for the for them, for this group of players. They had a lot of players coming off injury who weren't fully fit, including both Mitrovic and Vlahovic who before this game, Mitrovic hadn't played full 90, I don't think. Dusan still didn't after today. Uh, I think Kostic was coming off an injury, so it just wasn't the right time for them. The defense looked really, really bad. They conceded three times to Cameroon and Switzerland. It it just wasn't pretty. Um, It was just so wide open, too. Nobody marking anybody. And in general, this game was surprisingly open. I thought Switzerland would really batten down the hatches here and keep it tight. was not to be. It was crazy up and down football looked almost like like a like a middle school game or something with 
with the quality of professionals. Um, very strange. But uh, let's get to Cameroon 1, Brazil nil, where Brazil putting out a heavily rotated squad still dominates the game as you'd expect, 2.5 XG nearly. But they lose 1-0 because of substitute our guy, Vincent Abubakar, off the bench, scores with a beautiful header in the 92nd minute, and takes his shirt off, gets a second yellow, and gets a red all in one move. It would have been hilarious if there was a scenario in which Cameroon actually was eliminated because of fair play, because everybody was so tight on goal differential and goal scored. Uh, fortunately for them, that didn't happen. And he had a really sort of weird, lovely moment where he, with the referee, where they like smiled at each other and shook hands when he got knocked off the pitch. But Cameroon, congratulations, even though they didn't go through, gave a great account of themselves and are the first African team to ever beat Brazil at the World Cup. So good for them. Switzerland go through. Serbia crash out last in the group with just a point. Again, I think this was just a, if they had played the World Cup this summer and everybody was fit, I think this would have been a really exciting and dangerous team, but they just weren't quite at it, especially in the back. So earlier today, this being Friday, Group H served up more deliciousness and drama. Ghana nil to Uruguay and South Korea to Portugal one. South Korea advances behind Portugal in the group, beating out Ghana and Uruguay. Ghana was set out for revenge today from 2010's incident where Luis Suarez sent off deep, deep into extra time in their quarterfinal matchup at the 2010 World Cup. Ghana then missed the resulting penalty. They could have been, they if they had hit that, I think it was Asamoah Jean, it would have been the first African team to make the World Cup semis. Still no African team has. So, you know, Luis Suarez is public enemy number one in that country and frankly, probably most of the continent. They wanted revenge here, but it did not get off to the start they wanted. Andre Ayu missed a penalty, which must be so traumatic for the Ghanaian people. Um, much sympathy their way. And it, what didn't make matters any better is that uh, Sketa scored a header in the 26th minute off a rebound from a Luis Suarez shot of all people. And then he added a double from a pat from a direct assist from Luis Suarez. So Suarez had a great half. Sketa had a great, fat, great half. Uruguay goes up 2-0 into the break. And at the time, with Portugal up 1-0 on South Korea, um, again, Portugal, a heavily rotated scarred squad. Ricardo Orta scores in the not fifth minute. So at halftime of these games, Uruguay is going through no trouble there. However, how ever, I was wrong. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, South Korea do actually equalize in the 27th minute. Um, it's a corner, I believe. And it, the ball deflects off of a head, then the back of Ronaldo. And then Yuan Guan Kim finishes, rifles home. and past Douglas Costa. Hilarious that it was off of Ronaldo. It's not really his fault, but it's still funny. And at that point, it's 1-1, but still Uruguay is going through at halftime. And the status quo remains for both of these second halves. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Some chances for Uruguay. Some chances for Ghana. Some chances for Portugal. Few chances for Korea. And then it. I almost I made the comment to at one point to myself. I was like, man, Korea don't look like they're pushing that hard. Like, Portugal's comfortable in possession. South Korea get a couple of counters, but nothing that direct. And I was like, man, they really need to turn up the tempo here. They don't want to end up like Belgium yesterday, who, to be fair, had really clear chances. But then, off a of Portugal corner, Portugal sends a decent number of players forward. 
I guess like technically still hadn't confirmed that they were top spot Portugal, but to put that many people up for a corner at, at this stage of the game was a little confusing to me because I mean, it's with, with Ghana down two nil, I don't know. It's just, the whole thing was weird. I think a draw actually would seal top spot. So I don't really know what that was about. Sorry, you're getting my very uh, emotional, immediate reactions to all this. So I'm a little bit out there. Okay. Um, but yeah, the ball falls to Sonny. Youngman San, my guy, Spurs legend, on the right side of the pitch. There's nobody 50 yards ahead of him. There's one or two defenders back. San drives into the space all the way to the edge of the Portugal box. Super long run. Um for part of it, sort of unengaged by the defender. Then defenders are around him. He waits and waits and waits. Finally, Wangy Chan is 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 streaming down alongside him into the Portugal box. Saw nutmegs. I forget the defender. Passes the, gets the pass right through the legs. Slips it into Wangy Chan. Wangy Chan finishes. Incredible! It's the ninety-first minute. Sonny assists. Wang scores. They run to the Korean fans. It's epic. It's drama. They see out the result. 2-1 to South Korea. They finished four points. But poor Uruguay, you might notice, also has four points at this point. And it, you know what it's coming down to? It is coming down to goal differential. And not even... But guess what? Both South Korea and Uruguay are on zero goal differential. So what's it going to come down to? Goal scored. And how many goals does South Korea have? Four. How many does Uruguay have? Two. South Korea advances. So Uruguay, to get through on the tiebreaker, need to score another goal, need to add another goal differential to get through. And there's only, their game is a little bit behind the start time because they had a longer stoppage time in the first half. So they have about eight or nine minutes or like eight minutes, I'd say seven, eight minutes after the South Korea result goes to push and score another goal. It's frantic. Suarez has already been taken off for Cavani. They they didn't think they'd need that third goal and maybe they regret not pushing harder for it at some point. Um and Ghana, you know, already basically limited at this point, switch from like trying to get back in the game to kind of time wasting and getting some semblance of revenge on Uruguay for 2010. And they pull it off. There's a penalty shot where Cavani claims he got shoved in the box. I thought that was nothing. I thought he took a dive. Um, and they can't do it. They can't do it. Suarez is on te- in tears on the bench. The South Koreans have a super cute moment where they're all huddled in the middle of the field. They're waiting for the result. They hear it together. They go crazy. It's a fabulous moment. Remember, their coach, I think his name is Bento, wasn't even able to be on the sidelines for this game because he got a red at the end of the Ghanaian game. Um, So, I mean, absolute scenes. Totally deserved from South Korea. All credit to them. They played really well. Um, And, you know, they definitely shouldn't have lost the Ghana game in the first place. Uh, This was a really exciting group. Uruguay had kind of an ugly moment where a bunch of the players, like, kind of verbally assaulted the ref going down the tunnel. Uh, you don't really want to see that. It wasn't super classy from them. I understand they're frustrated, but it wasn't a great look. Um, really, there's just uh, Portugal's not a likable team at all. But it's also funny in Portugal that, despite having an almost entirely rotated squad, other than sort of in defense, Ronaldo still started. That tells you like what he's in it for. He, he's just trying to score fucking goals, uh, and he didn't today. Um, but yeah, this was a really fun group. Three really likable teams. I think, I mean, you could say Uruguay isn't very likable, but I think other than, you know, Suarez, like there are a lot of fun players on this team. Um, another one, some people labeled as a dark horse that's been eliminated. But Korea go through second, their third ever time advancing 
into the round of 16 in the World Cup. Uh, first since 2010. Congratulations to them. That was just one day. Holy shit. Yesterday, we had Group E and Group F. It started in the morning with Morocco beating Canada 2-1 and Croatia and Belgium drawing nil-nil. And because of that result, Morocco finishes top of the group, first African side to do so at the World Cup since Nigeria in 98. Kind of a wild stat. And Croatia comes through on second because Belgium could not beat them. They finish a point behind them with four, Croatia on five, Morocco on seven. Canada finishes as technically, in terms of results, the second worst side at the World Cup with zero points. But you have to say, first of all, for Canada, they played pretty well. Like, they played pretty bad against, uh, for a lot of that Croatia game in quite a naive fashion. But I think a, dr- a loss in both of the other games is actually pretty harsh. Canada should have had a, a, an equalizer in the in the second half when they're when their aged center back Hutchinson uh, smashed a corner, I believe it was, with his head off the underside of the crossbar. And it just about crossed the line, but like millimeters kept it from being out, from being in the goal and over the line. So pretty unlucky. They didn't take their chances against Belgium, as we've well documented. Um, So they really weren't, I don't think they can be too upset with themselves I think they've done themselves proud. I think they can hold their heads high going home. And I think they've done, I, obviously they would have preferred better results. And then they, under different circumstances, they could have actually gotten out of this group. But I think as it stands, they've already accomplished a lot in this cycle. Um, so much. And they've, I think they've probably made a, a stamp in the country where they can progress further onto 2026. But the story here, other than Morocco, who've been awesome, and major props for winning the group. They deserve it. The big story of this game was Croatia-Belgium, which had a bit of an absurd XG uh, on the Belgian side, but 3.07, and they did not score. Croatia, even though in the first half, I'd say Croatia felt looked pretty comfortable and looked confident at seeing out the result, was not the case in the second half. I think Croatia can count themselves extremely lucky to get through this group after this match, where Belgium really came at them in droves. The big difference for Belgium in the second half, they finally sat Hazard in the, uh, from the get-go, which I think was smart, but it was dumb to be playing him in the first place, and started Trossard, who only made it 50 minutes, but I don't, which I don't really understand, because I think Trossard should be really useful to this team. Um, but they brought on Romeo Lukaku. Uh, Roberto Martinez did for the second half, only really fit to play that much, and immediately you could see the difference with him out there rather than like a Batuai or somebody or a false nine. He was just like in all the right places, ready to clean up scraps in the box. And he had a quartet at least of enormous chances and he just couldn't finish them. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. You feel for the guy. Uh, I don't even know what to say. It, like I'm not the biggest fan of his, but I don't see how you don't have sympathy for, for him like weeping on the sideline afterwards because to be fair, one of the chances he should have scored did go out of play first, so that one wouldn't have counted. But the other three, especially two of those three, he should he'd finish. You'd back him to finish every day of the week. It was tough to watch, frankly. And I, as a Dutch supporter, didn't want Belgium to go through. So even then, I was it was, I mean, harder to harder to miss all those than 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 not. So they had their chances. I don't think they can consider themselves 
too unlucky or be too particularly angry at Lukaku, though, given the situation they'd put themselves in. They shouldn't have beat Canada at the very least. They Canada deserved a draw. They deserved to lose to Morocco. So they're lucky to we're lucky to even be in the position to qualify for during this game. Um but yeah, they score one entire goal at the whole World Cup and are eliminated. And everyone's writing obits for the golden generation, which I guess fair enough for that. But I I the some of the hate I've heard about them or disappointment that they sort of wasted this generation, I think is harsh. Like as if like it's their birthright as talented players to, you know, make a final. Uh doesn't happen very much. Ask the English. Uh it's like they finishing third in 2018 was a huge accomplishment for a country of their size, for a country that frankly doesn't have the footballing legacy of other big European nations. Um it's just hard. It's just hard. Like they didn't even make the World Cup, I think, between 20, 2002 and 2014. So they missed 06 and 010. So it wasn't even a given for them before this generation to make the World Cup, and now they make every tournament easily. Um, and in terms of their like inevitable demise or whatever, because all their players are old, yes, there's some element to that. Like obviously, this has to be the last tournament for for Tonkin and Alderweireld. Like seriously, and most definitely Hazard. Uh, you wonder about where Lukaku will be in four years. Even De Bruyne is past 30 now, so and he'll be older. De, but De Bruyne feels like he could probably last, to me, another cycle, another World Cup cycle. But on the other hand, they have a they are not short of fun young players coming up through their system. I mean, the just in terms of I mean, obviously Doku, the last two tournaments, this and the Euros, you know, he hasn't had a great season at club level, but he's so fun every time he comes on for France. So they got I think they have a fun attacking player there. They all have De Ketelaire, of course, who moved from Brugge to Milan in the summer. They have some really good young defenders in Teat and DeBost. Teat on Ren 22, DeBost on Anderlecht only 19. And even the and even about fast base Fies, Fies, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um 24-year-old at Leicester. They haven't gotten a shout at all in this tournament. Literally none of them. And it's very strange to me that that would be the case. Instead, he's Martinez has insisted on starting people like Castagna, who are fine also, but and he's not that old either. He's only 26. And Mounier back there. And Carrasco. You know, I, I just think I think what's did, did him in here is frankly Martinez and his staff not doing a good job of transitioning and and, and intermixing these generations. Like he's run basically with entirely the old generation for the most part. He started fucking Dries Mertens today. Dries Mertens. He's on Galatasaray. He didn't even have a team for a while. He's 35. So, like, I think it'll... And Roberto Martinez has stepped down. And he's done a lot for this Belgian uh, setup, so I don't want to criticize him too much. But I think it'll do them a world of good to get a fresh voice, to get some fresh... To to, to give these youngsters, like, an actual run-in, you know? With De Bruyne as sort of as the centerpiece still. Um, Leandro Trossard is having a season of his life at, at, at Brighton right now. He's only 27. He's got another cycle in him. Like, you know, Axel Witzel will be gone, but they have, they have people is my point. Yuri Tielemans barely got a look in this tournament. I know he's not in his best stretch the last year, but come on. He's excellent. He should be starting in this midfield, like period. Over Dendonka? Are you kidding me? You're starting Dendonka over Tielemans? That's, I think there's just like too many things like that, that, that are, are sort of indefensible to me. And I think will, um, I think 
as I said, I think a fresh voice and integration of these youngsters. Um, we'll see the Belgians still a really competitive European team. Maybe not a favorite, but, you know, good. So um, as much as I want to shit on the Belgium in general, like just just I, I think it's fine to just. Yeah, maybe you would have thought as one of the contenders the last couple of years, you'd want to make a final. But guess who hasn't made a final? Brazil. So, you know, it's not that easy. It's not that easy to, you know, be France or whatever, you know. And also, they my rant's almost over, but they also had some tough draws. Like, they lost to France in the semifinals in 2018, World won the World Cup. They lost to Italy at the Euros last year in the quarterfinals. Yes, they weren't that good that tournament, but Italy did also win that tournament. So, you know, 2016, the loss to Wales is the one that's really bad and indefensible. But, you know, it's tough. It's tough. I think they lost to Argentina in 2014, who went to the final, only lost in like the 113th minute of the World Cup final. So it's not like they've been embarrassing themselves with bad exits to bad teams. Like they didn't, they, I just think that's, I think it's unfair and it's hard to win the World Cup. And my rant is over. Let's go to Group E. And speaking of drama, it just doesn't stop here. Costa Rica 2, Germany 4, and Japan 2, 1, Spain. How about this motherfucking game? This was one that looked like it was going to be really straightforward from the get-go. We had Germany and Spain go up in the first 10-15 minutes, 1-0 apiece. And it was like, oh, well, they're going to walk to this. Not so fast. Both go to the half 1-0 with some of the uh, attacking energy sort of fizzled. The game sort of calmed down, and uh, in the, I don't know what to make of of uh, this Japanese coach Moriyasu because he's had I might be stealing this take from somebody, but he in either he's like an absolute evil genius or he's just really good at making impact substitutions because in both this Spain game and the Germany game from the match day one he. They started getting absolutely dominated for half. Couldn't get a touch in, no chances. He makes a couple substitutions at halftime. All of a sudden, they score two quick goals, and that's exactly what happened here. Duan and Tanaka in the 48th and 51st minute. The second goal from Tanaka is now infamous because um, it was ruled a goal, even though the ball looked like it was completely over the end line. FIFA has since come out and released the technology that proves that it doesn't. I was ignorant of knowing that I assume I thought it was the ball had to be touch it had to be not if it was not touching the line at all, like any part of it wasn't physically touching the line on that plane, then it was out. But I, I'm incorrect. What it actually is, is that if any part of the sphere of the ball is over the line in like the three dimensional space, then it is not out. So uh, I was ignorant of that. Uh, I know a lot of stuff is circling on socials. Like, how the fuck did they allow it? That that kind of makes me think of players who complain after offside calls now. I'm like, it's literally technology. It's literally automated. So I don't know what you can say about it. But anyway, Spain go up 2-1. Super dramatic because, you know, Spain on three points, Germany on one before the start of the game. At this point, Japan's gone top of the group with six points. And Germany's not going to be able to make that goal differential up that Spain got from smacking around Costa Rica match day one. So if Japan wins, basically, Germany has no chance. They're out. Um, the most they can do is start sticking some goals on Costa Rica. But instead, Costa Rica sticks some goals on them. 
58th minute, Tejeda. And then Neuer has an own goal. These these might, forgive me if I'm incorrect here, but I think these both came from set pieces. Uh, really sloppy defending from Germany. Rudiger didn't have a great day. Sula never looks that comfortable back there. I mean, pretty wild. Pretty wild stuff. As at this point in the 70th minute of this game, the table read one Japan, two Costa Rica, three Spain, four Germany. Spain and Germany were going out for, but it was only lasted three minutes because Kai Havertz came on super sub, scored a double, 73rd minute, 85th minute, and full Krug, another super sub. This tournament wrapped it up in the 489th. They win 4 2. Their final XG in this game was 6.06 on 32 shots and 11 on target. That is absurd. I can't, that's got to be some sort of record, right? Right? Tweet at me. Tweet at us if it is, because it, it's got to be. Germany, uh, I don't know if that's changed after the games today, but from the first uh, six groups, Germany had the highest XG of any of those teams at the tournament so far. <laughs> and what do they get for it? Nothing, because Japan holds on two to one. If they had conceded one time to Spain, they would not only Spain not only would have jumped them into first, but they would have fallen behind Germany and gone out of the tournament. Instead, they hold on. You have to say deservedly so, even though they only had eighteen percent of the ball. I think it's all. I also read it was some sort of record for fewest possession um, accumulated and to st- and still winning a game in the World Cup. I don't know exactly what the what the parameters of that stat is, but that's interesting. Um, they did out XG Spain. It's worth mentioning. And this was really similar to that Germany game where it's like, they kind of took, took their lumps in the first half. Um, and then ignited in the second, took their moments and then defended really well. Um, I think we've seen from Spain, Spain has to consider themselves a little fortunate here that they, that they didn't fucking blow it and go out completely thanks to Costa Rica not being able to hand on. But it was like a couple of minutes of real panic there, I think, in the Spanish support. Um, Spain, despite looking like really good for, you know, four of six halves probably um, in this tournament, showing moments of clinicality, obviously having like blowing out records of completed passes and uh, possession rate at, at the World Cup so far in this tournament. But they just when they you can see where they can get got a little bit um they can get got in transition um i think we pointed out before this tournament even started that their weak spot is really in defense um like laporte is good but he had a mistake recently that led to a goal um i think today he was at fault a little bit uh eric garcia not super reliable so much so that they're starting Rodri, who is not a center back, he's a midfielder, defensive midfielder for City. Um, they're starting him in the back, and they've come. I thought that might just be for the Costa Rica game. They've committed to that. Enrique's committed to that. Um, I think it, that definitely tells you how much trust he has in his other options back there. Um, so and you know, Espelicueta started at right back. They also have Jordi Alba occasionally starting. So these, I mean, they're the wrong combination of old and not that good in the back. Um, sort of their best defense is how much they possess the ball, actually. Um, and Unai Simone was has been a little sketchy too, the last couple games, and doesn't look that confident. So I think you've you've seen now the game plan from Spain, uh, or excuse me, from Japan, and even Germany, in in that second match where they 
you know, if you push them and you high press them a little bit, you put them under some pressure in the back, they are liable to turn the ball over and concede in transition. So interesting to see how Morocco handles that. Morocco, I think, has the personnel to make life really difficult for them, especially with their attacking wing play. Um, Ziyech, Mazraoui, I think it could be a really interesting game. I'd be a little nervous. I was a Spanish fan. Congratulations to Japan. Incredible achievement. They absolutely deserved in this group. They, Again, the the coach, questionable decisions, I think, in that Costa Rica match that almost cost them in this tournament when he made five changes uh, and they played a terrible first half. We're really unlucky in the second half to lose, obviously. But in the end, they totally deserved it. And not only did they get through, they won the fucking group with Spain and Germany. Germany bow out for the second straight tournament in a row, 2018 and 2022. Um, first time they're done so consecutively. I think it's the first, uh, I think it's their second and third time getting knocked out of the groups. The last being in like the thirties. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that's correct. Um, but wow. What a group. But it just keeps going, guys. The fun doesn't stop because on Wednesday, Poland just about did enough to advance despite Mexico's heroic effort against Saudi Arabia. It finishes, they finish Argentina 2, Poland 0, Mexico 2, Saudi Arabia 1. And Argentina was at the races from the get go here. They really were. Um, they got a really soft penalty, though, in the 39th minute, which Messi missed. Another second save for Chesney in the tournament here from the penalty spot. He's really a legend at that point. Um, and after the first half, you wondered, wow, is Chesney just not going to be beaten like at all here in this tournament? Because they hadn't conceded a goal yet. But straight out of the blocks in the second half, Alexis McAllister, Brighton zone. What a tournament Brighton players are having. Assisted by Nawil Molina puts Argentina ahead and they just kept at it there. Julian Alvarez, the city young city attacker, puts in the second in the 67th minute. And it, they were, frankly, Poland were lucky it wasn't more. 3.69 XG for Argentina to 0.32 for Poland. Four shots, none on target for Poland. 23 shots, 12 on target for Argentina. Um, and meanwhile, Poland might have thought they were safe there because Mexico had to make up a decent amount of goal differential to get through here. Um, I believe the difference was four. Um, but by Poland losing 2-0, you never know. Mexico might have a chance. Instead, uh, and Mexico, you know, got got nothing really going in the in the in the first half. They were pushing, they were pushing, not a lot of direct chances. Things opened up in the second because Henry Martin scores from a set piece in the 47th minute. All of a sudden, the doors are open. And then Luis Chavez with an absolutely incredible free kick goal. It, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it he hit, it's it's from this, the middle of the pitch. He strikes it over the wall, and it it's almost like a Juninho thing where it like it fades like so incredibly fast into the corner. There's absolutely no chance for the Saudi Arabian keeper. It's a gorgeous free kick, one of the goals of the tournament for sure. And you know, after the 67th minute in the other game, all of a sudden the goal differential is down to zero. And not only are they tied on goal differential, they're now tied on goals scored. So what's the next tiebreaker? It's fair fucking play. That's right. Yellow and red cards. And 
Poland still remains second in the in the live table because they have seven yellow cards. They had four yellow cards to Mexico's seven, but a red card is worth four points. If Poland get picks up a red, all of a sudden Mexico jumps into the other spot, and all this on top of of if you score another, if you score or concede another goal, then it goes back to goal differential and everything changes again. At one point Poland picked up a fifth yellow card and everyone was like, oh, oh shit, oh shit. Is it, are they going to tie on yellow cards? Is it going to come down to the, the last tiebreaker, which is, you guessed it, a fucking coin flip? That would have been something. And it looked like there was a huge chance for Julian Alvarez to get the brace and to put Argentina up three, which would have put Mexico into second place in the live table. He hits the side netting. Mexican fans surely watching along at the on their phones, praying that Mexico can take it into their own hands and find a third. But as they push and push and push, the Argentina game finishes 2-0. Deep into extra time, a counter, Salama Dossery, who was the hero against Argentina, finishes past Ochoa 2-1. Mexico's hopes are over. They rack up 2.3 XG in this game, 26 shots. You had a feel for the Mexicans. They were really good today. They deserved more. Poland were just shockingly bad. Like, they played some of the most negative, depressing football you'll ever hope to see. Frankly, it was kind of an embarrassment <laughs> to the tournament. I thought they their tactics were disgusting. They played disgusting. I'm shocked they even had 27% of the ball. And I, I don't want to shit on Poland because congratulations on them making through. It's always an achievement. It's been forever since they have actually done that. But, damn, like... Even as a United States individual, I had to feel for Mexico here, who deserved to beat Poland in the first game, even though they didn't create quite enough to declare that from the rooftops. Um, obviously, Argentina game is what it is. You really, you really hated to see them go at the end of this because now we have to watch Poland instead of Mexico. Um, Mexico would be a much better side to watch, but Mexico did it themselves. They started too late in this tournament. They. They didn't really open up and play what do play the football they're capable of until this last match. Ended up costing him. Uh, stops a streak of seven straight. Uh, this would have been the eighth straight tournament, making the round of sixteen. The streak stops at seven, and now uh, Tata Martino is gone. Uh, there's a lot of aged players that will be phased out here, um, and and much in the same way as Belgium, it'll be interesting to see what a fresh voice um, can bring. To this federation and how they can sort of restart, rejuge the the talent pool here. Um, I'm going to be really curious because they don't have a World Cup cycle to qualify for because they're one of the hosts of the 2026 World Cup. Um, so they're going to have to find interesting ways, I think, to integrate some of their young talent um, and sort of re envision what what Mexican football looks like moving forward. Very interesting. Group D, meanwhile. Tunisia won nil France. Australia won nil Denmark. Two shock results, right? And guess what? Australia has qualified to the round of 16 for the second time in their history, the last being 2006, their first appearance at the World Cup. How poetic. And they finish for the first time with two wins in a World Cup group stage. Incredible stuff. And you have to say, Tunisia will feel really hard done by managing to beat France, albeit a France team who made 10, not, excuse me, nine fucking changes to the team. Nine. Quick tangent on that. 
I mean, even for rotation's sake, this is a ridiculous team. They started Veratu at Marseille, who had a god-awful game. They started Yusuf Fafana at Monaco. He's going to be fun. He's 23. He played like shit, too. They started Gwent Doozy. They started Randall Kolomwani, who played, and 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 Kingsley Coman, who's good. But they, they started Alex Diasi uh, at Monaco, and they put Edward Kamavinga at left back. I mean, it was a ridiculous team. Uh, but to Tunisia's credit, this was a big game for them, you know, geographically speaking. A lot of ties, as you may know, between Tunisia and France. They played a really solid game. They got a late or they got a winner in the 58th minute. Kazri Griezmann had a goal in like the 99th disallowed for some crazy offside shit. But congratulations to Tunisia. And any other day, you might think that could be enough. Denmark had to beat Australia to have a chance. They were coming in with one point. Australia coming in with three. But Denmark, oh man, the dark horse is a tough time in this tournament. I don't know what to say. They just they just have looked totally listless and unimaginative with particularly with no cutting edge. They're one of the teams, it's been a theme in this tournament who have really suffered with uh forward play and production. And them as much, maybe more than any other team. You know, they've cycled through Brathwaite, Dolberg, Cornelius, Skovolson. Uh, they, they just, they just didn't have it. Even, uh, even Alexander Ba, or not, sorry, he's a right back. He's not what I'm thinking of. Ignore me. But yeah, um, Lindstrom up front, who's an exciting player at Frankfurt. They just, they just didn't have it. Um, and there, it's another team that maybe was the victim of being a little old. Uh, but they've been so good the, the year building up to this too. They've been ever from including after the Euros, which they obviously made the semifinal and were unlucky to lose to England, frankly, in that semifinal. They had a really great year in the Nations League, beating France twice. They got done by Croatia, but they've been really good. And I just didn't see this cycle ending so badly for them. I really didn't. They just looked out of ideas. I think, again, this is a tournament like the Serbians that comes at the wrong time of year for them. If they played this in the summer, it could have been a lot different. But players, you know, Form is such an important thing and fitness, and they just didn't have it. The only players who were really at the top of their game, I think like Hoybier and, and Ericsson are both in good form and some of the Brentford guys, you know, Jensen and, uh, and Domsgaard, but it was ugly for him. And I think now they're going to have to, I don't know if, uh, I hope Hulman stays on because I think he's a great coach. He's done a lot for them. I would be interested to see how, you know, there's only 18 months till the next Euros. So, it's not like all these players are going to go away. They have a lot of young talent too coming through. Um, so some of them I just mentioned, you know, Lindstrom, Skov Olsen. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting. Interesting to see how they manage um, development in the next bit. Um, I think really this is just a matter of them being at the wrong, wrong place, wrong time, which can happen at these, at these tournaments. But Let's take a moment to really appreciate Australia here. They go through, there's a there's a world in which we start this game off where all they need is a draw. That's assuming Tunisia doesn't beat France and especially loses to France, which is what we all expect. However, once that happens, there's two minutes where Tunisia are topping Australia in the group and Australia have to win. They haven't even relayed this to the pitch yet, but Matthew Leckie, Australian legend of Melbourne City, FC goes on a crazy solo run 
all the way deep into the French half. Flicks and tricks. Finishes. Finishes past, I said French, the Danish box. Finishes past Kasper Schmeichel. It's an incredible individual goal. And it's all they need. They hold on. They do it. They're through. Scenes in Australia were incredible. It's like 3.30 in the morning in Melbourne. People are going absolutely apeshit in the center, uh, in city center. It's, it's, they're great scenes. It's great for Australian football. You have to feel great for these guys. I mean, no offense. It's like a team of a bunch of fucking nobodies, you know, like Aaron Moy is good. You know, Leckie's had a good career. Um, uh, Harry Suter uh, is a promising 24 year old center back. This guy, let's give him his flowers. This is his fourth game back from an ACL injury. And he was absolutely the man of the match if Lecky hadn't scored that goal. He was incredible. Um, you know, Rolls is Kai Rolls is an okay player at hearts, but you know, it's there really there's really not a lot of talent on this team. And uh and uh, you know, Mitchell Duke, their starting number nine, plays for a team in the Japanese second division. I think he's the first, I think I heard he's the first second division player to score at a World Cup. Uh <laughs> In a you know in a previous game, um, in the match against Tunisia, pretty incredible story for these guys that they're able to not not only to get through but like it's I don't think you can really say that they smash and grabbed in in any of these results. Obviously they were outmatched by France, whatever. But in these last two games, which they won one nil, they really played pretty well. Like they didn't have a lot of the ball, they didn't have more chances like on paper. But I thought. They did themselves really proud in the way they played as well. Um, major props to them. Fran, I don't think you can read much into the France loss. They didn't fucking play anybody. I think that's like a nothing game. But again, huge for Tunisia, even though they'll feel hard done that Australia won and they didn't go through. But I think it's still a proud moment from them. Similar, I think, to the Cameroonians beating Brazil. Finally, we'll go all the way back to Tuesday, which saw the Netherlands top the group, Group A, after a 2-0 win to Qatar. And Senegal come in second behind them, beating Ecuador two to one. Um, this that the Netherlands game, I don't I don't have that much to say about. Like it's pretty obvious what was gonna happen in that one, even the Dutch not looking at their best. Um I will say they weren't quite as clinical as they could have been, and they still have a they had a goal ruled out, so it could have been worse for Qatar, but they're just they're not filling me with confidence right now as a fan. Um, I'm concerned about them going into the United States game in the morning tomorrow. I think the U.S. can really hurt them in a, in a couple areas where they've been sloppy. They've been really not that other than Frankie de Jong. The midfield hasn't been good. They've been turning the ball over a lot in dangerous positions, um, even a couple of times against a weak Qatar team. Qatar, I think, has gotten better, actually, in each of these three games. They were OK today. At times, they look dangerous, even though they only had 0.14 XG. But. Uh, I've heard that Qatari's Qatari supporters are really frustrated and angry that the team was this bad. I think, I think they, I don't know, maybe that's just a bit of, 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 of misinformation from, from the Qatari Federation and government that led people to think they'd be more competitive to this. Like I thought they might get a result in the first game against Ecuador just because of the home nation bump thing. And, you know, they're an okay side. Um, but it just after that game, where were the results going to come from? You know, um, they were never going to get out of this group. But yeah, and also it turned out Ecuador is just better than we thought, which so much so 
after that Dutch game that I thought they'd be favorites coming into the Senegal match without Mane still. Um, but Ecuador just weren't really at it today. I think they'll feel, I think they'll really regret how they approached the game today. They had the ball more than Senegal, sure, but they just didn't do much with it. Like we had, we didn't see such like the effective mid-block sort of pressing that they did, that they pulled out against the Dutch and Qatar in that first half of match day one. And Senegal came at them right away. And the first half ended with an Ismail Assar penalty conversion. Again, Ecuador just need to tie. Moses Casado taps in in the 67th minute. And it looks like Ecuador have recovered their form in time and they can hold on. But just three minutes later, off a, off a, a set piece, second phase, Koulibaly finishes the far post. Congratulations to him. It's somehow his first ever international goal for Senegal, which is crazy uh, considering, you know, he's 31 and, you know, the captain, I think, and been there, been, you know, at the international level forever, been one of the best defenders in Europe for forever. Um, so that's a bit surprising, but big, huge moment for him. And his nation. In the end, Senegal deserved to go through based on this game. Um, it'll just be frustrating for Ecuador, I think, who showed so well in those first two games, and I think would love a do-over in this game. Um, sometimes it's hard to be the team that needs a draw um, rather than the team that needs a win. Um, I think it can't help but change your psychology and motivation at a certain level. And that's a great transition to Group B that saw. The United States beat Iran 1-0 through a Christian Pulisic goal to advance, to jump them in the table and advance to the knockout stage. Elsewhere, England beat Wales 3-0 to top the group. Don't have much to say about that. Wales look really poor. Another team that I think this World Cup just came at the wrong time for. They put everything they had into this last gasp of their old, their old guard, their own golden generation. Uh, the Bale and Ramsey class to get them to this world cup. And they just looked spent. Like they don't, they didn't look fit. They didn't look like they could, like they could hang. Um, They go out with a whimper, but you know, still a big deal for them to be here. But the interesting game was USA, Iran, the US again, they had to win this game and they came out really intense and pushing the pace against the round. The first half, they were excellent. Um, They created loads of, half chances if not super clear-cut chances they counterpressed really effectively Iran were pinned back the entire half um at one point they had like 60 plus percent of the possession in that half that culminates that pressure with an excellent goal the ball is worked into McKinney in the midfield he sprays out wide to a charging Dest who heads the ball across the face of goal Pulisic taps in with his groin gets a pelvic contusion has to go to hospital after the end of the first half to get it checked. Apparently he's fine for the morning. It was a well-deserved goal. Of course, they couldn't really sustain the pressure in the second as Iran realized the, the task at hand. Um, Iran didn't show that much quality, I didn't think. They only had four shots, 0.42 XG in this game. But the last 15, 20 minutes were really nervy for the United States. Iran resorted to a little more route one stuff not in like you know an old school Burnley way but U.S. pinned back lots of men in the box lots of crosses at one point uh there was a huge chance for I think it was Taremi I think who who couldn't wrap his foot around it or couldn't wrap his head around it excuse me and it goes wide uh there was 
big drama, big drama, uh, where Iran had a penalty shout at the very end that didn't look like a penalty to me. The ball squirts behind Turner off this play and towards goal cleared close to the goal line, just agonizing drama for those of us rooting for the United States. In the end, the U.S. do enough. They win 1-0, deservedly so. And the U.S., frankly, look so much better than I thought they would at the start of the tournament. I want to give him a lot of credit, and I hate to do it, but Burhalter's done a fantastic job. I think he's had some of his best showings tactically, uh, which I wasn't expecting either. I thought he outclassed Southgate in that sense, and I think he did the same with Kirosh, especially in the first half today. Um, McKenney was coming up in all sorts of dangerous positions um, in places where people weren't closing him down. And he was really facilitating Tyler Adams, though, absolute man of the match. He is everywhere. He is really proving himself, I think, to be a world class elite number six in this tournament. He makes tackles from everywhere. I don't know how he does it, but he seems to be everywhere at once. He is an incredible motor. He never stops running. Uh, he is an abs- He's absolute class. And really that entire midfield. So, so promising. Eunice Musa looks like he belongs. Uh, he's only 20. Remember? just turned 20 this week and he's been so good he's been so composed on the ball yeah the trio of Adams McKenney and Musa look like one for the future you know Adams and McKenney uh, Adams 23 McKenney's 24 Musa 20 I mean that's good stuff and then there's Brendan Aronson too who can't even get a start he's only 22 really exciting stuff Timothy Wea continues to be decent on the right he had a goal disallowed at the end of the first half, which was really tight and it was a really good finish. Um, but the problem for the U.S. is still who is going to take those chances in the number nine spot. Thought Sargent was okay, has been okay um, in the first and third game here. He hasn't missed any like glaring chances, but he also hasn't gotten into positions to really put pressure on the defense um, and threaten goal, except for that early chance against Wales where he hit the post. Um, yeah, I... And when Haji Wright comes on, Haji Wright almost cost them the fucking game today because instead of he has the ball driving into the Iranian box with like a minute and a half left, two minutes left. Instead of going to the corner and time wasting, he takes a weak shot on target. Iran recycled the ball. It ends up in that chance that was almost a penalty and was almost a goal, um, which he would have been absolutely enemy number one if that had resulted in the U.S. being eliminated. Um and I can't help but wonder that why Haji Wright is there instead of Jordan Peefock. I don't care if Jordan Peefock hadn't squared since September. He plays at a higher level. He's used to this sort of thing now. And I feel like even if he's not starting, bringing on a guy like that would have made a better choice in that situation. And I think would have been more dangerous against England too in that second match. Not that Haji's been terrible otherwise, but I don't know. The big call that Burhalter made today too, really brave, was to play Cameron Carter-Vickers at center back instead of Jordan Zimmerman. I haven't heard a reason, or excuse me, Walker, Jordan, Walker Zimmerman. I haven't heard Burhalter say any particular reason for that. Um, it really paid off though. Vickers was, Carter Vickers was really good today. Um, I don't, yeah, again, I'm not totally sure why I made that call other than Zimmerman has had a few shaky moments in possession in the first two matches. And, um, but Vickers looked really composed like he's been there before. He was really strong and physical. Him and Reem had never played together before, and it looked really impressive. The fullbacks, Destin Robinson had great games. Dest obviously had assist. I think Anthony Robinson has been another standout in this tournament, though. He's been excellent, excellent, excellent. 
barely put a foot wrong. And finally, let's give our flowers to Christian Pulisic, who came through in, in the biggest moment of his career so far, um, at least on the international level. Um, he says he's fit for tomorrow morning. We'll see how 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 well he looks. Could be the difference between the U.S. getting through the Dutch or not. Um, also be curious to see if Burr Halter sticks with the Carter Vickers re-impairing or if Zimmerman is introduced, reintroduced. Um, another one final thought on the U.S. is I wonder, I'm speculating here, if, if none of our number nines are going to be clinical, why not get more of your best players in there? Like, at some point in this group stage, I might have tried playing Weah through the middle or even Brendan Aronson and sort of more of a false nine um, and having Pulisic and whoever's on the right, Aronson or Weah, really invert more. Um, see if that's a way to combat some of the complacency in that area of the pitch. Uh, I don't know. We I haven't even mentioned Gio Reyna, who apparently Burhalter thinks isn't ready to play. Um, but imagine like Rea, Rea, or either Weah, Aronson or Reyna through that middle. Um, just get more of your better attacking players on the pitch and hopefully maybe that counterbalances some of the, I don't know. We'll see. I'll be interested to see what his lineup is tomorrow. Um, but congratulations to the U.S. Still a good achievement. Um, they look well suited to grow in the years coming. And I have to give Burhalter some credit where credit's due. See how he does tomorrow. But now, signing off. That's been Any Given Thursday. We'll be back to cover the round of 16 or maybe just me we'll see uh till then cheers to the international gaffer